Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from the Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology. It's April 2021, and I'm Jonathan Blott. This month, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Thomas Robinson from Stanford University's Department of Pediatrics. Professor Robinson's new research, the Stanford Goals Trial, is a three-year intervention for overweight and obesity in Latinx children, and is published online this month. So I suppose we should begin with uh, talking about how the prevalence of overweight and obesity in children has changed in the USA, and more specifically, how have Latin American or Latinx populations been affected? Yeah, the, the, the prevalence of obesity in children and adolescents in the U.S. Has, has more than tripled over the past four decades. And in our most recent national data, more than 20% of U.S. adolescents have obesity. Children and teens from low-income, Black, Native American, and Latinx families um, really have consistently suffered the highest rates throughout this entire period. Um, and even with greater medical, um, public health, and public awareness, um, and efforts to promote more healthful lifestyles and policy changes, our rates in the U.S. and, and really throughout most of the world are continuing to trend up. And um, particularly worrisome to me is that the, the income and racial and ethnic disparities are further widening, not narrowing during this time. And this is really expected to continue to increase the disparities we now see in diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, and stroke, um, many cancers, and the many, many other medical, psychological, and social problems related to obesity. And, and so far, uh, what kinds of interventions uh, have existed and what kinds of challenges have these interventions faced? Obesity in, in children and adolescents has mostly been treated as a medical problem uh, in medical settings. And when nearly one in five children in the U.S. has obesity, that quickly overwhelms our resources. And so, uh, but the most successful treatments are strongly based in behavioral science and involve many weeks of frequent visits. Thus, um, these treatments are often quite costly to administer. They're time consuming and inconvenient for the patients and their families. And therefore, they're not available in many communities. Further, on top of this, uh, there are few data from randomized controlled trials of weight control treatments um, that have reported any outcomes beyond 6 to 12 months of treatment. So there are real gaps in, in what we know about what works and what's available to children with obesity and, uh, and their families. So given the, the challenges in this area, what led you specifically to carry out the Stanford Goals study and, and what were the aims of your study? Stanford Goals was designed to address some of those challenges um, of the existing treatment approaches. Um, first, it was designed as a community-based, multi-level, multi-setting, and multi-component, or what I call MMM, systems intervention. Sometimes you can just pronounce it as mmm if you want. It was uh, multi-level, addressing multiple levels of influence on diet and activity behaviors, in which we intervened directly with individual children, parents and families, peer groups, primary care clinics, and uh, in the home and community environments. It was multi-component in, in that it included efforts to intervene on eating behaviors, physical activity, screen time, and parenting via behavioral and environmental interventions. And it was multi-setting, intervening in different settings that influence diet and activity behaviors, homes, community-based after-school programs, and primary care clinics. Thus, a big part of the design 
was to flip the current treatment paradigm, which usually delivers treatments in the clinic setting, as I noted, where they're available to only a few families, and move it into the community, to the places where children and families live, eat, and play. Second, it was strongly grounded in psychological theories of behavior change, including some cutting-edge social psychological strategies that have never before been applied to obesity treatment. Third, it was delivered and evaluated over a full three years for each family. The three-year outcome was initially dictated by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute of the National Institutes of Health in its request for applications. Um, but as I noted before, few studies have gone beyond six to 12 months. And so our objective was to test the limits of patient and family engagement and sustainability of the intervention and really longer-term effectiveness. Fourth, because very few past interventions have been designed and tested for low-income Latinx children and families, and they are the most rapidly growing population in the U.S., and one of the groups at highest risk, we specifically designed our study for low-income Latinx children and families and tailored our intervention to incorporate Latinx cultural beliefs, um, values, and behaviors. We also focused on children with overweight and obesity as they grew from 7 year to 11 years old to 10 to 14 years old as they go through puberty, which is a very high-risk time for carrying excess weight into adolescence and adulthood. Finally, the MMM intervention was conceptualized holistically as a complex systems intervention. This was also really particularly novel. It's well known that the causes of excess weight are complex, and, and life is complex, of course. But most interventions are designed with this implicit assumption that they will be delivered in a uniform, linear way to all families, just as their plan. So we know that doesn't really happen in the real world. So we started with the acknowledgement that every child and family would experience our intervention in their own unique way, taking their own unique paths over the entire three years of the program. Some of that was explicit by giving families choice of what to do when and at their own pace and providing mutual reinforcement and repetition across different components of the intervention. So if they missed something in one component, it would be experienced in another. Um, other parts, though, were built to accommodate variations we couldn't plan for, like when families split up or spent time in Mexico or when a grandparent was diagnosed with diabetes, for example. We assumed families would not take a straight line and built in opportunities for feedback loops, tipping points, and complex nonlinear interactions to produce lots of potential opportunities for behavior change. In doing all those things, we ended up with three main interventions. Goals at Home was a five-module family and home-based intervention that was delivered by health educators who visited families' homes. It started by replacing all of a family's dishware with smaller plates, bowls, glasses, and mugs. This was followed by three behavior change uh, modules to change eating, physical activity, and screen time behaviors, and families got to choose the order of these modules. The final fifth module was focused on problem-solving and maintenance skills. Um, progress through these modules was mastery-based, so each family went through at their own pace and with a different number of sessions, depending on how they were doing. And then the second component, or main component of the intervention, was team goals, and that was a community-based after-school team sports program that was designed specifically for our children with overweight and obesity. It was offered weekdays, year-round, at four community centers in the neighborhoods where we recruited our participants from. And this was conceptualized as an environmental intervention. Children can come every day or not at all. It was really up to them. But it was always there for them. 
primary care goals was the third intervention. We sent twice-yearly progress reports to families and to the children's primary care medical providers to help them counsel families when they saw them in the clinic. We then compared the, the MMM or intervention to a state-of-the-art health education control intervention. That also lasted three years and also included home visits, monthly newsletters, and quarterly neighborhood health education events. So there was no untreated or usual care control group. And participants in both groups received a real intervention that was intended to try and help them. So you've described there this um, MMM approach as a multi-level, multi-setting, multi-component. Um, so what were your, your key findings? What effects did this intervention have on obesity in children? Well, we measured outcomes uh, once a year in each child and had really outstanding measurement participation rates, which was, which was wonderful. So 98.8% of the families were measured after one year, losing only three families. 96.7% after two years and 94.2% after three years. Um, we're really proud of those high levels, which is why I have to highlight them, um, and it's because it's really unheard of for, uh, for the participation in a, in a study. Our primary outcome measure was the change in BMI over the entire three years. We found that children who were randomized to the MMM intervention changed an average of about 0.7 BMI units less over one year 0.6 BMI units less over two years, and about 0.25 BMI units less over three years than children who were randomized to the health education intervention. The differences between groups were statistically significant over the first two years, but were no longer statistically significant by the end of the third year. This same pattern of results, with substantial differences between groups over the first two years, but then narrowing by the end of three years, was observed for other measures of body fatness, like um, age and sex-adjusted BMI, waist circumference, waist-to-height ratio, tricep skin fold thickness, and percent body fat. Um, we also observed parallel results favoring the MMM group over one or two years in other cardiometabolic risk factors, including diastolic blood pressure, total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol, after-school physical activity, and total dietary calorie intake, percent of calories from fat, and percent of calories in meals eaten in front of screens. So you found no significant effect of the MMM intervention at three years, but children did gain less weight over one and two years, as you say. So why do you think this happened? And what is the potential impact of these short-term results in high-risk populations? Well, we, we were excited to see clear benefits for BMI, as you mentioned, and multiple other risk factor measures over one and two years. Um, as we discussed earlier, few weight control studies have reported results for more than six to 12 months. And and so this was unusual even in, in that case. The effect sizes we found were com comparable um, to more intensive interventions and less diverse samples followed for shorter periods. So the one and two year results themselves are notable. We also knew we were taking on a very formidable challenge by focusing on a low income, high risk sample of families. Prior randomized controlled trials of interventions to prevent or control obesity obesity in children from racial or ethnic minority, low socioeconomic status families, it generally failed to find really any effects on weight-related measures, even over shorter periods of study. So we take this as a very positive sign about the promise of our MMM intervention approach. I also believe that these reductions in weight gain over at least two years will have benefits of their own in terms of long-term risk for these children. We can't know for sure, but there's some evidence that even short-term improvements in weight and other risk factors do have benefits. 
that doesn't mean we weren't disappointed that we did not observe statistically significant BMI differences compared to health education at the end of three years, which was our a priori primary outcome. But I like to say that's science, and it's what gets us really excited about pushing forward with our research. We can't know what works and what doesn't work without doing um, these types of studies. We knew the goals of the study were ambitious and beyond what had been attempted before, and the effects over three years um, really was an important question to try to answer. Um, and so that's, we, we, we go with that answer, and, and we're happy with it because that's how the study was designed. It's possible that having a three-year state-of-the-art health education comparison intervention instead of an untreated or usual care control group could have resulted in an attenuated effect size. Um, however, we intentionally designed it to be a particularly rigorous control to minimize threats to internal validity in the study. And um, I really believe the very high rigor of the study is one of its greatest strengths and contributions. Um, we also observed that our intervention participation rates were highest in the first year and fell the most in the third year. That's another possible explanation of why the differences between groups were not maintained over that third year. We anticipated and planned for some of this fall off, but as parents and teachers know well, it's difficult to keep children and families engaged in the same types of activities over even much shorter interventions, particularly among socioeconomically stressed families um, with lots of competing priorities beyond just their participation in the intervention. Yeah, so despite having um, overall a good level of participant retention, as you mentioned, you did see a fall in participation over the course of the study. And we know that participation retention in these types of studies is challenging. So, so what do you think should be done to ensure greater participant retention and intervention participation over a longer time period? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question and one that we, we do put a lot of thought into. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we did an outstanding job, and as you just mentioned, of, of retaining participants in the study. Um, almost 99% over one year and more than 94% over three years. It's, it's really impossible to know, but I believe we were successful because we think about measurement as just another intervention um, in which we try to maximize self-efficacy and intrinsic motivation for, in this case, measurement participation. Our staff were embedded in the community, and that led to lots of trust with our participants. And we even trained our data collectors in motivational interviewing, which is an unusual thing for, for studies to do. Our bottom line was to meet the needs of our participants, and that's what we try to do. Um, intervention participation was an even bigger challenge because it was continuous and not just annually. The, the assessments were just once a year. Um, I believe we can still improve on some of the characteristics of our MMM interventions um, to really promote and sustain engagement over a longer period. Um, and I think we did a pretty good job of integrating our MMM interventions into the fabric of the community and um, into our participants' lives. We were somewhat limited in what we could do at the neighborhood level, you know, at a more environmental level, by the need to minimize contamination between groups and maintain masking, because this was a randomized controlled trial within a single community. So I also believe that increasing the variety of intervention um, opportunities might help engagement, but we have to be careful about its impact on the study design. Um, also, this study makes us even stronger believers um, uh, in terms of thinking of interventions in terms of complex systems. Uh, this is also consistent with the trend we're seeing towards personalized or precision health, and I believe we can continue to innovate 
in creating more engaging community-based interventions that address the unique needs of individual children and families. It moves us from thinking about creating a specific linear intervention that can be replicated to acknowledging that context matters and rather thinking about an intervention conceptual model that can be replicated but is still effective and even more effective while it is experienced differently by each child and family and in each community. And then finally, what would you like to see from future studies of, of similar interventions in this population? Well, building on our results, I believe the next big challenges are going to be a sustaining intervention participation and producing long-term effects on BMI. That's, that's clearly where we can improve here. Um, additional theory-driven studies with longer-term follow-up like ours are, are greatly needed, and we'd like to see more studies that go out uh, beyond two years, three years, and even longer. Um, I think the MMM and complex systems intervention models show a lot of promise compared to more traditional intervention models um, and really deserve more attention. Um, and, and we will continue to go in that direction as well as I hope other um, research groups do as well. And finally, the widening disparities we're witnessing are extremely troubling and need to be addressed with much more solution-oriented research. We definitely need many more intervention studies in low-income, racial, and or ethnic minority high-risk samples. Brilliant. Thank you so much. You can read Professor Robinson's research online now at thelancet.com. Thank you to Professor Robinson, and thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation With. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With, The Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology, wherever you usually get your podcasts.